0: About eight and a half years ago, um, my dad passed away, and uh, he went in for open heart surgery that August and contracted MRSA and never came out of the hospital. And that December, uh, he died. And I remember uh, going to visit him through this process, and especially seeing him towards the end of his life, probably like around November-ish, somewhere in there. Uh, the writing was kind of on the wall, and. No one was really saying anything to him, but he knew it. He knew what was happening. He knew that he wasn't ever rallying back and getting more healthy, and it seemed to be more in decline. And there was this one day where uh, it was just the two of us uh, in the hospital room with him, and he began to open up about death, and he began asking me these questions because I think he knew what was coming. And we had this amazing talk. And it was kind of rudely interrupted because a bunch of family members showed up and came in, and my dad would never have that conversation with those people in the room. So he kind of quickly stopped, and it was kind of getting evening, and this was all happening down in the Chicago area, so I had to drive back to Wisconsin Rapids. And so it was time for me to leave, so I said goodbye. Um, And I drove home, and in my mind, the whole time I'm driving home, I was like, man, we never had a chance to finish that because that's what really needed to happen. And so I got home and I woke up in the middle of the night and I just was praying for my dad and I just was feeling this thing that was going on and, and I just sensed that God was saying, you need to go back down there and finish the conversation. And you need to go back down there and tell him about the hope in Jesus Christ that he doesn't have to face death and fear. And you know, when you're, if this is your dad and you're the son, there's, you know, it's sort of out of order and it just seems, and I was just like, oh man, I don't know if I could do this. And so uh, I went to bed for an hour, I got up about four, and I wanted to make it so I could walk into the room early in the morning before any visitors came, so I could just have alone time with my dad. And so I uh, hopped in the car about 3.45-ish, something like that. I got in there about seven in the morning, and my dad was there, and, and when I walked in his room, his eyes kind of opened up, he was like surprised to see me, he was like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, we need to finish our talk. And he said, you're wasting all this money on gas driving back and forth. And my dad and I always had a goofing around relationship. And I looked at him and I said, Yeah, you're a real pain, you know that? And that's just my dad and I. And we just laughed. And, um, and then I said, Dad, we got to talk about what we talked about. Because I said, Part of my job and what I do for a living is prepare people for what's ahead. And Dad, you don't have to fear death because someone died in your place so you could stand before God and his righteousness, and that's Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did? Do you know how to get to heaven? And my dad said, well, I'm kind of hoping my good outweighs my bad. And I said, Dad, your good will never outweigh your bad, because, and it doesn't have to. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. He died for your sin. And if you ask him into your life, you can stand before him when you die, knowing you're going to be in heaven. And he said, well, how do I do that? And I said, well, all you got to do is pray. And by this time, we're both sobbing and crying. And, and I, I said, you just got to ask him in your life. And I said, I can lead you in that prayer right now if you want to. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And he reached out his hand, and I grabbed his hand, and we prayed. And it was the worst sinner's prayer i ever led anyone through in my life because I was just a train wreck, right? I'm, we're crying, and I'm like, oh. And, I, and I get done, I'm like, no one's getting saved through this prayer. I mean, I'm just coming in and out. And my dad's probably thinking, man, if this is what you do for a living, you're not very good at it. And so... Um, so we pray, and my dad gives his life to Jesus Christ, and the minute we say amen, all the family members come in, and it's an interrupted moment. And uh, I hop in the car, and I drive home, and I call a mentor friend of mine. And said, I said, I don't know where he's at. There's a, a lot of stuff here. He's like, man, just be thankful what God did. And so then about three weeks later, I went back down to see him, and it was the last lucid conversation I had with my father. And at the end of it, he reached out and grabbed my hand. He said, I want to tell you something. That prayer we prayed was significant. I have peace. Keep praying. Those are the last words I heard my dad say to me. There's a power in last words, there's a significance in last words. In Jesus Christ, when he was with his disciples and getting ready to go to the cross had last words for his disciples, last words for the church. And we need to clue into the last words because there's a significance and power in the last words. And as we see recorded in the book of John, as Jesus is going to the cross, he has several last moments with his disciples where he lays out the important things that are on his heart, the last words for the church before he goes to the cross. And as we prepare for this, what we call, the church is called Holy Week, this week before Easter, from Palm Sunday today to Holy Easter Sunday, I wanted to pause our series in Galatians and just really reflect on Jesus, some of Jesus' last moments, some of his last words to prepare our hearts for what we're going to take in next Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so with God's help, I'm asking that we tune into these words and let them Guide us and instruct us. If you have a Bible, open it up to John 13. <clears throat> John 13. If you're new to the Bible, uh, John is, um, if you go kind of three-quarters of the way in, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to see in this, these last words of Jesus three life-changing instructions. Three life changing instructions. I'm going to start on John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, the place I'm starting is on page 956, if you're using our sanctuary Bible. And I want to focus on the first three verses. It says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, don't miss this. He loved them to the end. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. This talks about Jesus's mission, and the first instruction and one of Jesus' last words and last moments with his disciples is this, that you will be saved through sacrifice. You will be saved through sacrifice. Like I explained with my dad, we don't have to live in a place where we have to try to get our good to outweigh our bad. We don't have to live in a place where we have to try to earn points from God because we can never earn points enough. Because the Bible says we as human beings who are sinful people marked by sin, fallen into sin, have been separated from a holy God but God looked in that situation and loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus who talks about this in his mission that Jesus would come and through the cross of Jesus Christ take our sins upon himself and pay that price to be sacrificed. Sacrificed. Because our sins demanded a sacrifice to this holy God. And Jesus was that sacrifice. And now all those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus are now redeemed. It's a, you, are brought, you are ransomed out of a life of sin into a life of love. You are redeemed. You are brought back into relationship with a holy God. Back into that place where God originally wanted us to be in relationship with him. And it comes through sacrifice of Jesus' son. And that's what we're going to be looking at all this coming week. When we look and when we gather for prayer and we get together on Good Friday. All this coming week we're looking at that. So number one is that you will be saved through sacrifice. Number two is that you will be known as a people of love. You'll be known as a people of love. In John 13, I want you to look over to verses 31 to 35. 31 to 35 says, When he had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me just as I told the Jews and so tell you. Where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command, love one another." Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. See, Jesus is saying right here that the church of Jesus Christ in the world will stand out, not because of the knowledge of the truth. They will stand out not because of their selfish service. They will stand out not because of their great amazing abilities, not because of the money that they have that they can throw into problems in our society. It says that they will stand out because they will love people more than anyone else can love someone on the planet. That the love that will come from the church of Jesus Christ will be so mind-blowing, so different, so significant that it's going to cause people to notice and they will know that they're followers of Jesus because of his love. You see, that's what this is saying. Can you imagine the people in the city of Wisconsin Rapids who would say, I know that person is a Christian because I've never seen a person love like that person. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Now, there's a lot of confusion about the word love. When we hear the word love, it brings lots of different things in our minds. We think about things like we love pizza and we love our wives or our husbands. We, it's like well, we love our kids. It's all different. And so um, what I love about the Greek language is words of love are described in the word for love used here. When Jesus says love one another, there's a Greek word called agape. And agape love is bigger description than the love that we may be thinking about in our heads. When we hear about love, we think about romance and we think about family and that's all great and that's wonderful things. Agape love is that, but plus so much more. Agape love is that, but it's bigger than that. Agape love is the best of those things, but then things add on. And I want to spend some time looking at three quick descriptions of what love means, this word agape. Three quick descriptions. First of all, number one, this love is unconditional in its expression. It's unconditional expression. Jesus expressed love for all kinds of people. He expressed love for the Roman executioners. He expressed love for prostitutes. He, expressed love for people trapped in sin. He expressed love for murderers, for those who are selfish, rude, arrogant, self-absorbed. He turned away those who, uh, he didn't, those who turned away from his love. He still loved them. He wept for those who didn't know who he was, those who were far from God. You see, this is real love without conditions. There wasn't like a bar you had to pass first to get the love of God. The love of God existed before you could even come and stiff arm it. That's what kind of love agape love is. It's, it's unconditional in express, its expression. Second of all, it is unselfish in its motive. Agape love is unselfish in its motive. This love expects nothing in return. This love is given without any self-interest. You know, we would probably never ever be bold enough to say that we love because we would want to get something back. We'd say, no, we can't say that. That's just too uh, selfish. But we act like that a lot of times, don't we? And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes our motive to love is to kind of get something back. But this kind of love isn't like that. This agape love is a love that is given out of unselfish motive. It's given because of what it is, it's not given to try to get. This is loving people for their sake without anything in return, and that's the essence of this love that Jesus is talking about when he says, you will be known by my love. And finally, with agape love, this love is unlimited in its benefits. Though it doesn't, it's unselfish, the one who gives this love always benefits because of the kind of love it is. The one sharing this love is satisfied because it's love expressed without selfishness. Unlike other loves, agape love cannot exist apart from action. There has to be some action tied to it. And as Christians, we live in a time where the world is waiting for us to take our place and be the people God called us to be, to say they will know you are Christians by your love. We are living in a society now where as Christian people, it's not enough for us just to be right. It's not enough for us just to have truth. That's why one of the values we have across your church is that we're going to have merciful fellowship, meaning that we're going to extend love and mercy to everyone around us. Because for people to hear the truth, for people to understand what's right, we have to lead with love, and Jesus knew that, and that's why he was laying this out. You see, you can't get into a fight with somebody about truth and what being right because they're not going to sit there and say, oh yeah, I've been an idiot all my life. You're absolutely right, I'll take that on. You have to win their hearts. And that's what Jesus is saying. He knows the way into a person's heart. This is the creator of the universe, the one who created human beings, knows the way into a human being's heart is through the door of love. Not that long ago, my wife Pam and I were down uh, on a date night at the Cheesecake Factory in the Chicago suburbs. And I don't know if you've ever been in the Cheesecake Factory, but... Uh, the Cheesecake Factory is going to be in heaven. There's going to be over up and to the right. It's going to be over there. And um, there's no calories. You can have as much as you want, and it's just amazing. But we're at the Cheesecake Factory, and at the Cheesecake Factory in the Chicago suburbs, they're always jammed in, right? And so we're at this table, and it was like us right here. And then we could like put my arm around the person next to me at their table. I could do that here. And this table, there was like a couple... And on this table, uh, there's a a husband and a wife. And we got just, you know, we're eavesdropping because they're like right here. Um, And it was his daughter. And his daughter just brought home or or had them meet a new boyfriend. And the new boyfriend, you could tell that this was a Christian family. Uh, They went to church a lot. And she brought home a boy that did not attend church. And this guy to my right starts doing a full-on Jesus' assault on this kid. He starts preaching to him. And I'm a fan of preaching. I mean, I do it right now, right? I'm a fan of preaching, but there's a time and a place. And this guy starts going in because this kid starts rebutting with these questions. And he starts saying, yeah, but what about all the evil that's going on in the world. And yeah, but what about this? And this guy says, in the Bible, it says this. And he starts getting really enemies and shaking his finger, and he's getting all upset. And And I'm sitting here, and, and Pam knows, like one of the things I love to do one of the passions of my life is to enter into conversations with people very far from God and engage them in Christian things and with friendship and love bring them to that place because the truth's going to stand on its own. You don't have to defend the truth. You just let it out of its cage. And, and if you love people enough and see them there and just listen, and I love doing that. And so I'm sitting here and... It's, And this is happening like right here next to me. And Pam's looking at me and she gets a smile. And she goes, you're going absolutely crazy right now, aren't you? And I'm like, oh, I want to to say this guy. Okay, first, number one, she's never bringing another guy back home. All right? I'll tell you that. Number two, just close your mouth and listen. Just listen. Just listen where he's at. And just love him and build this bridge. There's time to get to the truth later. Just listen. I mean, come on. Jesus says you'll know by your love. Don't tee this person out so you can brag about how much theology and Bible you know and smack him with your great right truthfulness. Just listen to this young man. Because as I listened to him, he had a great heart. And he was earnest in his questions. And he just wanted someone to share the truth. But they wanted to share the truth in a way where he can disarmed and he can know it's safe not to have all the answers this is the love that Jesus is talking about he says his last days on earth this is how you love and the world will know you will love see Jesus is speaking into the future he's speaking to us too that the world they'll know you are my people by my love and like I said there's this confusion around love and sometimes we think love is just being really really nice but it's bigger than that You see, true love causes us to live as we are intended to live. You see, true love causes us to flourish. And you know, sometimes that means receiving confrontation. Sometimes that means giving confrontation. Sometimes that means it's not just being about really nice to people all the time. Sometimes true love means you have to speak the truth in a loving way to a way that says to someone, you know, this anger, this behavior, this lashing out, this has to stop. You see, that's love. Because what you say is, I know deep inside you don't want that to happen, but what you're doing is you're separating every relationship that means to you in your life apart because you're not getting over this spot inside of you. That's not an easy thing to do, and that person's often accused of being unloving, but they're, being the, they're the only loving one in the room, saying, we can't allow this to go on. You see, love looks like that sometimes. Sometimes love means boundaries. Sometimes love means we're not going to allow this to go on anymore like this sometimes love means truth sometimes love means when you hear that spoken to you instead of being defensive you stop and you take honest reflection and say maybe i do need some help here you see sometimes love means going to counseling to unearth all this dysfunction and this pain and this stuff so that you can become the person god wanted you to be because when jesus says you'll know by your love he's saying you'll know because you'll live in a way that flourishes You'll live in a way that brings flourishing to the world. Do your words and your actions cause others to flourish, feel valued, and become all that God intended in the BBC? See, that's love. That's love. And Jesus did that. He did that with his disciples. It wasn't just all this really nice, nice stuff. He told them, like, are you crazy? You think you can be on my left and my right? Are you that arrogant? Are you that prideful? I mean, Jesus went after the dysfunction in their hearts because he said, I want you to be all that I intended you to be. And so we got to bring this to light and then lovingly carry you there. There was a group of pastors once, and they were sitting around, and there was this one guy, and he was really young, and he was kind of arrogant, and he was bragging and talking about all this stuff. And there was this one other guy who was really wise, who'd been a pastor for probably 30-plus years, and he's sitting there, and I kind of was like watching this back and forth, and this wise pastor, after this, you know, whole bunch of arrogance and things came out, said, um, "Hey, can can I share something with you that might not be easy to hear?" And you know what this young arrogant person did? He got really, really humble, and he said, "Yeah, give me a gift." I thought, "Yeah, that's a gift. If someone's honest enough to help grow you to all that God wants you to be, that's a gift." And that arrogant pastor became very, very humble, and received this. And there was a transformation. I saw that person later, and, and there are amazing, amazing things going on. You see, you got to be willing to receive that. See, this is what agape love does. It, it, it goes beyond ourselves to all that God has intended for us to be. One of the uh, Great examples I've seen in Crossview Church, and there's many, 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 you're a loving bunch, but one of the great examples I've seen in Crossview Church of agape love is, um, some of you know Bud Ramsland. And Bud is now at a retirement community in Rockford with his wife Sharon, but I remember one of the first, I don't know, maybe in the first three months that Bud was here, he's kind of sitting in the back there, kind of to the right of the sound booth, and worship music just started. The worship team just started playing, and, and it was there. And, and I was doing something. I was kind of running late, so I came in, and Bud's Bud sitting there. And I see Bud take out these two uh, squishy earplug uh, ear protection things, right? And he starts squeezing them, and he's putting them in his ear like this. And he's putting them in his ear like this. And I went up to him. I put my hand on his back and said, Bud, I'm sorry, is it too loud for you? And he said, no, 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 Dan, no, no, no. This is what we need to have the young people know about Jesus. They have to have it like this. This is totally fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. You let her rip, Dan, let her rip. And they put it in his pocket. And I thought, that's love. You know, Bud wanted to see the message of the gospel passed on to another generation. He said, I don't, I probably wouldn't listen to this in my car I probably wouldn't get into this music, but there's something bigger than my own personal preferences. That's love. That's love. You'll be saved through sacrifice. You'll be known as people of love. And finally, you'll have God within you. You'll have God within you. Look at John 14, verses 15 to 17. It says, if you love me and you will keep my commands I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Jesus was concerned that his followers would feel abandoned when they went and they watched him die on the cross. Even though he told them he's coming back, he empathized with that feeling And so he assured them with this amazing promise that something greater is coming than you standing with me here. The greater thing coming is that God will live inside of you. The moment you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and say, I want to live for you, I repent, will you come into my life? The moment you do that, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and God takes his residence inside you and you become a home for God. The Holy Spirit is then living inside you. And when the Holy Spirit lives inside you, that's the only way a person can live the way God wants them to live. Because the Spirit is inside them, empowering them, guiding them, filling them with his presence. God, through the Holy Spirit, teaches us how to live as a Christian, convicts us of our sin, empowers us to live holy lives, changes our preferences and our want-tos to something bigger, puts Jesus on display in the world through us, That's the Holy Spirit inside of us. And Jesus was telling his disciples, and he tells us today, you never, ever, ever have to face this life alone. You never have to face this life alone. I will never leave you as your God. In fact, I'm going to take up residence inside of you. I will be there with you. And the goal of the Christian life is then to surrender more of your life over to me as I live inside you. Christians, do you hear that? Do you know that the creator of the universe lives inside of you? Do you get that? And you say, I don't think I can live a holy life. And God says, yeah, you can't, but I can't through you. I don't think I can forgive that person for what they did. And God says, yeah, I know, you can't, but I can through you. I don't think I can reconcile with that person after all that happened. And God says, yeah, no, I I know you can't, but I can through you if you let me, if you lean into me, if you allow me to live my life through you, I will empower you to do the things I'm calling you to do because I know in and of yourself, you can't do that. See, the Christian life isn't try, 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 try. The Christian life is lean into the Holy Spirit inside of you and allow his power to transform and change you so that you live the way he intended you to live. A way that's flourishing. And Jesus wanted his disciples, in his last words, to know that. There's one pastor who said that Christians look at the Holy Spirit like a pituitary gland. They know it's there in their head. They know that they need it. They don't want to lose it. They don't really know what it does, but it's there. And then he talked about how he broke his hip, this pastor that said that. And he realized that when he broke his hip that he couldn't move like he used to. And if he turned on his bed wrong, he'd get this huge amount of pain. And if he put weight on that hip, he would have this huge amount of pain. So he had a cane, and he had to use this cane everywhere he went. And the only way he could move is if he leaned into this cane for assistance, because if he did it on his own, he got nothing but this pain and he realized through that experience that God was saying, and that's what the Holy Spirit is like, that we can't move on our own through this world. The only way that we walk in this world is we lean into the Holy Spirit. We lean into God inside of us, empowering us to live. And Jesus wanted us to know that. You'll be people saved through sacrifice. You'll be people known by my love. And you will have God living inside of you. You see, Jesus wanted us in these last words with him to hear these things that were important, the cross, kingdom love, Holy Spirit. These were the things that were on Jesus' mind right before he was ready to die. These were the things that were closest to his heart. These were the things that he wanted his people to know that you, when you carry this cross, you remember what I did, and it and forces you to... to Look at others in a way like, how come they can't have that gift? I want to bring that gift to them in love. And the Holy Spirit's empowering you to get you to walk in the way I want you to do. These were the key things on his mind. When you live in light of the cross, when you live a life of love, when you live a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, not leaning on yourself, there's no fear that can overwhelm you. There's no doubt that can cause you to walk away. There's no sin that can't be forgiven. There's no power in the regrets of the past. There's no mistake that will define you. There's no evil that will overcome you. Because you were bought with a price on the cross. You were made into a person of love. And you live this life by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the late 90s when I was at my first church as a youth pastor, we had a concert in the, at our church and it was a, a man named Rich Mullins. He was a Christian. Some of you may remember Rich Mullins' music back in the 90s and Rich Mullins did his last concert on earth in our church because after that concert he hopped into a Jeep with his friend and they drove back home to Wichita and got into a car accident and died. And so the last concert he ever gave was at our church in a small group in a person's house. And, and the person who was with Rich Mullins in the accident in the passenger seat was a person named Mitch McVicker and he was a Christian artist as well and he was there on that night uh, at the concert at our church and then he was in the car when it all happened but he lived he had a huge recovery in the hospital but he lived and a year after the accident Mitch McVicker came back to our church for a concert and I could tell he was totally different there was a lack of arrogance there was a humility, and when all the musicians were on stage, and some were barking out, "I need this," and "I need that," I need and he was just calm and at peace. And he really just—someone came up the wrong time, right before a concert, to talk to him. He took off his guitar, went down, and he just engaged with them. He could care less about what was going on there, and he was—and it was people stopped and would try to grab him at different times, and he talked to every single person and got in their their life and just listened. And you could just see there was a soft tenderness about him, and I. Took him aside and I said, "So how you been doing?" And he said, "You know, I often question the last year why I didn't die with Rich. Why did I live that accident? And Rich didn't." And he said, "You know, the only thing I can think of is that God gave me another chance at love." Because he said, "When I was a Christian before the accident, I talked about love, but I never loved anybody. It was all about Mitch and what I wanted and what I needed and my preferences, my thing." And now I get a second chance at love. And I'm making it all about others. And I want to hear what they want. And I want to hear their needs. I want to hear what's going on. And I want a second chance at love. So let me ask you this as we prepare for Easter this week. Could you use a second chance at love? Have you used your preferences and your desires and your stuff inside of you, your pain to blow up other people verbally? Have you used maybe your power, the things in your influence, to make sure you get your comforts? Even though if somebody asked you, you'd probably say no, but reality is yes. Could you use a second chance at love? Do you listen to people? Or is it all about getting everything out, getting everything out? Do you take time to really stop and listen? And not just listen so you can prepare your answer and fire back, but really just listen. Could you use a second chance at love? This week, as we go through and remember the greatest act of love that ever happened to human beings, Jesus on the cross, I think God's calling us all to a second chance at love. To look and see what this is all about. The verse that Julie read for us, go back to John 13. Verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You know what true success in life is? Is when your circle of those that you love to the end begins to expand and widen. Jesus loved his disciples to the end. He wasn't always nice to them. He didn't always give them what they want. But he loved them to the end. And you know what? He even loved a person. You know who's included in that? is, Is Judas the betrayer. Jesus loved Judas the betrayer to the end. He loved to the end. When we take these three things that Jesus is talking about in his last words, the cross, we bow in awe and worship at such a costly price for love. When we think about kingdom love, that we must be willing to humble ourselves and love not for our own fulfillment but for others. And when we think of the Holy Spirit, of how we must open ourselves up and lean into God inside of us to be the people he's called us to be. Let's do that and have a second chance at love. What do you think, Crossview? Let's bow our heads and pray for this. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your words of significance. I thank you for your last words here. And God, I ask that you would help us to understand and not just blow this off, but see the power and the meaning and the significance of these words and these things you've done. God, we ask that you'd open our, the eyes of our hearts this week and next Sunday and that good Friday to the gift of the cross and what it was all about. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the areas that perhaps were not loving like you call us to. And, and Lord, help us to fix that not by self-will or self-determination or self-discipline, but fix that by leaning into you, God, the Holy Spirit, inside of us. Help us to be really gut-level honest with you and ourselves and not be defensive. But I ask that you would grow us beyond those things inside and help us to be the people you've called us to be, people of love, We ask for the second chance of love, and I thank you by your grace that you so graciously give it. Now help us, God, to live that out, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.